almost that, 17. Almost 17. Um, and um, we've never, we've never done yeah, a little tag team together, like no. this. So kind of something new. So um, some people, so Adam and I are both graduates of North Central, and some people assume that we met at North Central. So uh, some of you may have heard this story. It's partially true. It's kind of true, but not fully true. So we just thought we'd kind of open with sharing a little bit about how we got to North Central. So Stacy was a student here from 94 to 98. And now you know how old we are. Yep. And then I came here in the fall of 99. Mm -hmm. So we were not students at the same time, just so you're tracking. I was an urban ministry major. Stacy was also urban ministry major, but... Again, not here at the same time. Um, in the process of me being here, the person that was overseeing the urban program, Pastor Daryl Geddes, who's a pastor at Christ Church down on Lake Street, um, he left to go pastor that church. And so it left uh, kind of a vacancy in the program, and, and we needed some faculty and some professors. And, and I had left North Central and went and got my master's in social work at the University of Illinois. And um, I, had, I had just graduated, and Dr. Tennant, who was our vice president of academic affairs, called me and said, because of the vacancy in, urban, in the urban department, our students are scheduled to go to urban seminar, which is a course that was um, done during spring break where uh, we would take students and immerse ourselves in the culture of an urban uh, city. So she said, would you please um, run the class this spring? And I said, sure. So the class took place in Chicago. Um, also, if Jacenia is here, Jacenia asked for a shout out. So there, there you is. go. She got there her you shout go. You got your there. shout out, girl. Um, okay. So um, anyways, um, so I pull up to Midway Airport to pick up um, I think 10 students and there was a guy standing on the curb and I was in my little blue Saturn. Okay. Blue Saturn. Cute. My favorite car ever. And he looked at me and said, are you Stacy? And I said, yes. I said, are you a North Central student? He said, yes. I'm like, get in the car. And so he gets in my car and then we, that probably shouldn't have done that. But anyways, it, it turned out good. Uh, and then Turned, turned the corner where a 12-passenger van was and all the students get in. So for that week, uh, we, myself and these students, we stayed um, in a church that actually was an old bank. Uh, the girls slept in the vault, which was really crazy, on the floor. And we had this amazing week um, in Chicago. At the end of the week, the students were to fly home, and Adam Sikorsky says... I'm going to bypass my ticket, and there were some students from the trip that were a part of her dad's church, which I didn't know that her dad was a pastor at the time, who were going back to her town, and she was driving back alone, so the good gentleman that I am, she needed somebody to ride with her, right? You know, so I would ride back to Urbana with her, right? You know, guys, you feel me? You know, so, you know, ride back with her, and then ride back with those couple students back to the school. So I rode back with her to Urbana, and she was she claimed she was oblivious, but oblivious at the moment of I, my interests. Yep. So to make a long story short, um, at the end of that weekend, he said, "Can I stay in touch with you?" And I was like, 
like, what? Like, you're a student. This is weird. Like, I, I don't understand. Uh, but clearly, I must have been interested because I gave him, okay, this is going to age us, folks. But uh, we didn't have cell phones the way that you have cell phones now. So I gave him my home number, my office number. Uh, if you know what a pager is, I had a pager. So I gave him my pager number. Yep. I gave him my parents' phone number. It was ridiculous. And we still have the piece of paper with all these digits on it. Um, and so anyways, gave him my number. But then the very next day, I called Dr. Tennant, the vice president, and was like, so there's this student that asked for my number. And I'm not really sure that we're, you know, what, what is going on. And she was like, well, who is it? And I said, Adam Sikorsky. And she goes, oh, he's amazing. Tell him to hurry up, get all of his papers in, give him his grade, then you can do whatever. So... 16 years later, we are still together. So it was not scandalous like nope, some we people the like rules, to think. So, yeah. so, but, so I was his professor before I was yes. his wife. Yes. So that's kind of fun. So anyways. And I am older than her, just for the record, too. So I came, to, I came here as an older student. Um, today, as, as Jeremy said, we're going to talk on this topic of discipleship. And it's, it's kind of a, a weird word because it's, it's overused in church and Christian circles and we hear the word all the time. But if you were to sit down and ask people, what is discipleship? Just like you guys tried to kind of rationalize and process through what this means, you, you're going to get a variety of definitions. Even when Stacy and I first started to prepare this talk, we both had two different ideas in mind. She was thinking more individual discipleship. I'm thinking because I teach in the College of Church Leadership. I'm thinking church, corporate discipleship. And so we were even on two different pages initially when we started to prepare this process. And so that just illustrates we all just have kind of a different idea concept of what discipleship actually is. And so today we want to kind of address two sides of the coin of, of what it is and then also what it isn't as best as we can in the time that we have allotted here Today And so because of its overuse, we, we, there, there's a lot of misunderstanding that goes along with the word. And so we want to provide as much clarity regarding the topic as we possibly can. So a couple little observations about the word discipleship. Anybody want to guess how many times the word discipleship actually appears in Scripture? Somebody said three. Somebody said too many. What else? Well, any, any other guesses here? Like we're in a class. Not that we're in a classroom, but... 200, that's a pretty bold guess. It actually appears, thank you, Chris. It appears zero times in Scripture. So you're like, okay, we're talking about this, this topic that doesn't even appear in the Bible. Like, is this heresy or what? Um, even though it actually never appears in Scripture, the concept of discipleship is very biblical. So I just want to get that out there right at the beginning. Even though in the English language, discipleship can be very ambiguous, it is a very biblical concept. And so when we talk about discipleship, it's essentially kind of this, this pattern that emerges of us following Christ, being followers of Christ. In Scripture, we see the word disciple ascribed to this group of men, these 12 men that were followers of Jesus and so we begin to see this, this kind of idea, this pattern that emerges about what it means to be a disciple or what discipleship is. And so as we follow Jesus, there's kind of this process where we're learning to trust in him, um, we're learning from him, and, and, and that kind of encompasses 
this idea of discipleship. And so it, it could mean that idea, this, this idea of following Jesus, of learning from Jesus, or there's also this other side of it that it's kind of this activity, activity, not activity, activity where we're also helping other people learn about Jesus and, and grow in Jesus, kind of just as we're, we're doing here in this setting here today. And so then there's another meaning that kind of comes across regarding discipleship that we see in Scripture, and it's this idea of helping others. And actually, anybody in here taking Greek? We got any Greek students here? A few of you, good. Take your biblical languages. It's a great... Um, great way to learn and dig into scripture a little differently. Um, there's a verb that's used in the Greek language that actually means to make disciples. And this comes across in a, in a couple different ways. Um, it can mean preaching the gospel so that people are converted to Christ and, and thus become Christians and then as a result become disciples. We see this in Acts 14:21. It says, when they had preached the gospel to that city, and made many disciples. This Greek word there is, is, is a result of them preaching the gospel that people became disciples. Um, they then returned and, and then in turn preached the gospel. Um, and so there's this process of making disciples, this process of discipleship. Or it could also mean converting people to Christ, converting people to Jesus. That also is this process of making disciples. Um, this whole process of conversion, baptism, teaching the ways of Jesus is also the process of discipleship. We see this in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples. This verb, this process of making disciples. And then it says, goes on to say, then when you've done this, then you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then it describes the process after baptism. Then teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so you, you see this verb being played out of making disciples and this, this progression that takes place. And so again, it's still kind of wide and broad and, and somewhat obscure of, of what is this process of discipleship. What I can tell you is that it is a very long process. It isn't something that just happens overnight. Uh, it, it's kind of similar to this process of sanctification that it occurs and, and, and takes place over time. And, and essentially, discipleship really needs to be viewed as this lifetime, lifelong process. Even though I've been a, a Christian for over 30 years, I'm still walking this process of discipleship of being discipled and also discipling. You know, and so in this process, we get people converted, we baptize them, and then we spend a lifetime teaching them to obey all that Jesus has said and commanded us to do. That, in essence, encompasses this New Testament verb of disciple. And then the word in, in the New Testament, um, I, I want to just quickly, just it, it doesn't, Kind of one of the misconceptions that we have is that there's these different stages that, that there's kind of, you, you get converted and then there's this second stage of Christianity that turns into discipleship. And I want to kind of dispel that, that myth that we have in this progression process. Um, 
There are ministries that are kind of built around this distinction, and I think it's kind of an unbiblical way that we look at this, that, that first we get, get converted, and then, then you become disciples. But in the Great Commission, it gives us this idea that discipleship is this process that occurs the moment someone begins to hear about Christ, they're beginning to walk that path of discipleship. Um, and we see this in, in Acts 20, 11, 26. Um, it says that in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Everyone that was converted to Jesus was a disciple, and everybody that was converted to Jesus was a Christian. These words, these terms were used interchangeably. And so this whole process is the process of discipleship. It's not you get converted and then you start this process of discipleship or become a disciple later on. They're very interchangeable. And so I think it's important that we don't get hung up on that, that terminology and understand that people need to become Christians. They need to become disciples. They need to be taught how to think, how to feel, how to act to be a Christian. And that is, in, in essence, what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, one who embraces him as Lord and Savior. And so I'm going to turn it over to Stacy. <laughs> I didn't think he'd be able to sit the whole time. Sorry. If you have him in class, you know how he can be. Okay, so I'm going to uh, transition a little bit and talk about the practical um, ways that we can apply this to our lives. So how does discipleship happen? I can tell you this. There is not a cookie-cutter approach to discipleship. Discipleship is going to look different for everybody, and your process is going to look different than the person sitting next to you. So I want to share with you a few possibilities for discipleship found in Scripture. So Titus 2.4 says older women are to train younger women. Now, you can switch and say older men are to train younger women, and we don't need to just talk about an actual age, but it also can be about spiritual maturity. So someone that is more spiritually mature can train you. Now, I have an amazing mom, um, but when I was a sassy eighth grader, and I promised you I was a very sassy eighth grader, um, I really wasn't wanting to listen to my mom. And so Jesus brought someone into my life to help train me when I was refusing to listen to my mom. So um, one night I was working in the nursery at my dad's church, and um, this woman uh, was sitting in there. I came to find out her name is Pam Peoples. And that evening started a lifelong journey with me where Pam became someone that um, spoke into my life deeply. Um, Pam is a mom of five boys. God bless her. Um, she is a no-nonsense kind of lady and really can handle anything that comes her way. She grew up in a military home and married an officer in the Air Force. She truly is one of the most amazing women that I know. She invested in my life in a ton of ways, she taught me how to be a mom. Uh, since she was a mom of five boys, she you know, knew her stuff. Um, she um, taught me how to have fun. I remember countless times having really random um, dance parties, like in the middle of a store while we were shopping. Uh, she taught me how to cook. 
her mom, Mama Jones is what we called her, uh, she, she uh, really uh, taught me how to cook um, and was an amazing, amazing cook. Um, Pam showed me um, how to work hard, how to love people, and how to be a good friend. Her husband, Owen, one of the most gentle, kind souls I've ever met in my life, he showed me how a man should treat a woman. The way that he loved Pam, and I don't even know why I'm getting emotional, sorry. Um, The way that he loved Pam was absolutely breathtaking. Um, But the way that he showed me care was just awe-inspiring. So again, aging ourselves, we don't all have cell phones back here in the 90s, right? Uh, Because you had to watch your minutes, and um, you don't even know what minutes are. Um, Anyways, um, so Owen would refuse to let me drive home if it was dark, so he would literally get in the, his car and follow me all the way to my parents' house to make sure that I got in okay, and then he'd turn around and go home because I couldn't just call him because we didn't have cell phones. Um, just the sweetest, sweetest guy. So um, I'm going to share a little bit of a crazy story about Pam training me. So uh, in my high school years, um, I was not serving Jesus the way that I was supposed to and should have been, and so made some uh, rough choices. And Pam was all up in my business my entire high school year, especially in regards to relationships. And so um, I had graduated early from high school. I just needed to be done and get out of there because I wanted to come to North Central. And so um, I was packing right before coming to North Central um, in August of 94, and Owen and Pam came over, and Owen took me for a walk around the block, and it was like this very father-daughter moment of like encouraging me and uplifting me up and all this kind of stuff, and Pam was in my room, and somehow we got talking about relationships, and I made a comment about um, a relationship that I had in high school, and um, something that I had done that I shouldn't have. And she literally grabbed me, threw me on the bed, and whooped my butt. Like, literally spanked me. Like, tears coming down. It hurt. And I turned and looked at her, and I was like, what in the world? And she goes, well, you won't ever do that again, will you? And so I'm not saying that you all need a spanking from somebody at the age of 17, the way that I must have. Um, But Pam was a person who invested a lot of time, a lot of energy into my, I mean, she was a mom of five boys, so she could whoop me, and I was 17. Um, But she invested a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of love into my life and really helped me to be um, who I am today. Um, I would encourage you to find someone, maybe don't get a spanking, but maybe find someone who will invest in you and and help you and to grow you. um, 2 Timothy 2.2 is another example of a discipleship possibility. This verse reads, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Paul was training Timothy to train others to train others. This is basically what's happening here at North Central. You, the student, are like Timothy. Faculty are training you to go out and be teachers and pastors and social workers and musicians, etc. 
Um, they're training you so you can go out and train others. When I attended North Central, it was literally, the, I love being married, I love being a mom, but when I was here at North Central is literally my four favorite years of my entire life. Um, there were faculty and staff that spent a lot of time and invested in me. Dr. Tennant, Mike Nasser, Kim Wida, all people that I learned from, but also really leaned into and allowed them to speak into my life. These people didn't just train me in the classroom, but they walked beside me to help me become the person that I am today. I'll never forget Dr. Tennant. She taught me how to pray. She had uh, brown leather couches, and she had the office that Todd Monger has now, and I spent hours in there with her, um, and she showed me by example and by, um, uh, by time spent with me truly how to pray and seek the face of God. Kim Wida was the dean of women, now RD of Miller Hall. She showed me how to be authentic, how to be my true self. Mike Nasser helped me to discover who I am and later did our premarital counseling. See, discipleship is about reproducing yourself. So while I sat under their teaching and learned and leaned into what they had to say, it also set a tone for me to then teach others. A few years ago, I had the privilege of being uh, adjunct faculty here in the social work department. And being in the classroom wasn't just about teaching the content, but it was about being the Kim Wida, the Mike Nasser, and the Dr. Tennant to all of those students, to disciple them, to train them, so they could go out and train others. Might I encourage you to not just sit in the classroom and take in information, but be an active participant and be trained so that you can go out and train others. The last um, aspect of uh, discipleship possibility I want to share is found in Ephesians 6, 4. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers are to train their children. Mothers are to train their children. Um, now, some of you maybe have grown up and you didn't have a father or, or a mom, or maybe you're estranged from them, or maybe they aren't Christ followers and they didn't give you the training that you felt like you needed. Um, you can still find spiritual parents that can train you and that can feed into your life. I grew up in a home where my parents were phenomenal trainers, even during my sassy years. Um, and, uh, but my parents have opened their lives and their home to be spiritual parents to so many other people. And there's a lot of people out there that would be willing to do the same thing for you. You want to find spiritual parents that are going to love you, but also tell you the hard things. Just because someone tells you something you don't want to hear doesn't mean that they don't love you. Parenting or even spiritual parenting isn't about always making everything fun, smooth, and pretty. Sometimes it's discussing and doing really hard work. If Adam and I only praised our children and gave them every single thing they wanted, they would be some pretty bratty, spoiled, rotten children. Um, and trust me, we aren't doing that to our children. <laughs> um, uh, a couple of while ago, we had a college student that lived with us in the summer. And um, one day, I went to go do laundry, and his laundry was in the washer. So I was like, I'm going to pull it out and throw it in the dryer for him. And I pull out towels 
and whites and jeans and darks. And I was like, what in the world? Like, why would you throw all your laundry into one load? So later I said, I won't say, dude, like why, why do you have all your laundry in one load? And he was like, well, I didn't want to waste your water. So I was like, come on upstairs with me. So we had a little lesson on laundry and showed him, um, he may be in this room, um, and showed him how to change the washer load to extra small, small, medium, large, and extra large. And if you didn't know that, I just gave you a lesson too. Um, And so helped him understand that you don't have to put all your laundry into one load, but you can actually change the dial so that it changes the water. So this is a simple example of training. Um, It's not a hard or uneasy one that we had, um, but there were other harder and tougher conversations that we had with this um, student when he lived at our house. Now, he could have been offended, um, but he was teachable that entire summer, desiring to better himself, even if it was just about laundry. Here's the thing. Every Christian should be helping unbelievers become believers by showing them Christ. That is making a disciple. And every Christian should be helping other believers grow to more and more maturity. That is making a disciple. And every Christian should be seeking to get help for themselves from others to keep on growing. And that is also discipleship. I'm going to say those again. Every Christian should be helping unbelievers become believers by showing them Christ. That is making a disciple. And every Christian should be helping other believers grow to more and more maturity. That is making a disciple. And every Christian should be seeking to get help for themselves from others to keep on growing. That is also discipleship. The Bible gives us many examples of discipleship possibilities, and I shared a few, of you, a few of those with you today. But the first call of discipleship is to follow Jesus. Matthew 4:19, Jesus said, "Come, follow me." So first we need to be followers of Jesus. Maybe some of you are not following Jesus the way you're supposed to. Yes, that can happen at North Central. If you are coming short in any area of your life, then you are coming up short in following Jesus. In my own life, if I'm coming up short in anything, being a good wife, a good parent, if I'm coming up short in my prayer life, in leadership, in having a bad attitude, what I'm really coming up short in is following Jesus. So now what, right? We talked about this stuff. Maybe you're paying attention. Maybe you weren't. You're checking social media or whatever. I want to illustrate this for you just just to give you one last little um, just image in your mind to kind of walk away with as we just have three minutes left here, and I will respect your time, um, as to what discipleship is, what it looks like. Um, I want to say this. Last night, I um, so I, as you know, or you've heard maybe, I recently finished my dissertation, so I'm now a doctor, so it's kind of exciting. Um, and I realized last night, I actually, I have an acknowledgement page, which I had acknowledged Stacy in there. I actually had never even had her read it until last night. She read it last night. And then she's like, are you going to tell other people in here? Like, cause I gave shout outs to other people in, in the acknowledgements of my dissertation. And I, there was one section, um, I snapped a picture of it and actually texted it to a guy that I met. He was my third grade PE teacher. 
Um, later became, in high school, became my youth pastor um, and has been somebody that, that has discipled me, mentored me, poured into my life literally for 30 plus years. And I sent this text to him last night and just said how much I appreciated him, how much I loved him. Um, I get emotional, but the emotion is tied there because these are people that have invested in our lives, that have kicked us in the pants or whooped us in the pants, you know, whatever. But, but they did it because they, we knew that they loved us and they cared for us and stuck with us through thick and thin and, and poured into our lives. And that's the part of discipleship. And so discipleship is about somebody pouring into you, but you also pouring into somebody else. So my questions for you is, who is discipling you and who are you discipling? And, and a good picture for this um, I'm going to borrow Julius and Tian. Would you come up too? Julius and Tian, I'll call you guys forward to be my examples. Julius, come stand up on the stage here, and Tian, you stand down on the ground there. And grab hands. Do you think Julius would be able to pull Tian up on the stage, or do you think Tian would pull Julius off? Tian probably pulled Julius off, you know. Even if Julius was significantly bigger, probably just because of leverage would be able to pull him off. But now if Julius grabbed my hand, grab his hand and then grab my hand, you can, you can let go. Or, or no, don't switch hands because we don't want to break you. There you go. Now do you think that we could pull Tian up on stage? This is the process of discipleship. I'm investing in Julius's life, and I brought him up here because I am investing in Julius's life, and I love him. Sometimes I have to kick him in the pants, and sometimes we have fun together too. But, but do you know that I love you? No, he's, of course he would say that. So yeah, if you've been in class with us, you know that. But we give each other a hard time because we love and care for each other. Um, same thing with Tian. Tian comes to my office. We sit and talk about life, and that's the process of discipleship. And together, we make it stronger that we could pull Tian up onto the stage, but because I'm investing in Julius, Julius is investing in Tian, this is what the picture of discipleship should be like, having somebody pouring into you, but you in turn pouring into somebody else's life. doesn't mean that you have to be perfect, that you have to have everything figured out, that you need to know everything that there is to know about the Bible and about Jesus, but it's about pointing people to Christ. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you that you loved us enough, God, that you didn't want us to stay in our sin, but you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross so we can have this experience, but it doesn't end at this experience, that this process of discipleship is about conversion, but it's also about learning to follow you and becoming closer to you, and that you bring people in our lives that disciple us, but that we in turn need to also be discipling others to help pulling people along. God, I thank you that you've placed us here in this wonderful place of North Central, that this is an environment where there are many great pastors, staff, faculty that are here to pour into people's lives. God, so they then in turn can pour into others. God, I pray that in everything we do, we would seek to honor you and glorify you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you all. The altar is open if you want to come pray. Have a great day. God bless you.